one Jurassic Park for a minute. We'll be discussing the second Jurassic Park sequel one minute at a time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And today we're back to end out the week minute 31 of Jurassic Park 3. But before we get to that, David, you've pulled out your Blu-rays and gone for a little looky. I pulled on, I pulled on, well, except for Jurassic Park, I have the open mat, uh, 35mm print of that, of that movie, and it's still in 1080i, mm-hmm. but it's, it's clearer, it doesn't have any much grain on it, doesn't have any funky filters thrown over there, discoloring it, and it, it's true Jurassic Park. It's pretty much pretty much as I would have watched it on VHS when I was a kid, just without the like the boom mics and stuff cropped out. <laughs> yeah, it is the um, it is the far superior way to watch that film. Oh, definitely. And then I got onto Lost World. Um, that one I popped in the Blu-ray for. It was really nice. I forgot how vibrant and beautiful the island looks. It's got this really cool, vibrant beauty at the beginning of it when they're walking through, say, like the Redwoods after the Stegosaurus attack. But then things start getting creepier and creepier, and by the time we return to the Redwoods, it's... And I discussed this when we were reviewing that during that, uh, during that review was how once they return to the Redwoods, it's cloudy and misshrouded and creepy. And one thing I really liked was how at the, when they're regrouping in, uh, before, in, in between those two moments, between the Stegosaurus and the uh, Dieters of Death, when they're regrouping back at the ruins of the Injun camp, you can really feel the humidity in the air and the combination of the crickets and other nighttime bug noises and just even, I mean, even all that ambient sound. You can, it feels like you can feel the humidity and the sogginess. Mm. And it reminds me a lot of those kind of rain-drenched midsummer camping trips from my childhood. <laughs> and then, of course, Jurassic Park 3, actually, I'm going to admit that I it's the clearest and it has the least amount of grain out of the first three, but the sound quality is not as good as the first as the as the Lost World or Jurassic Park for that matter. Yeah. And the and the Lost World, you can all the sound is perfect. You can hear all the background chatter. It's excellent. But then you get into Jurassic Park three, and it's it's just a clearer version of the DVD. It's not anything really special. The island though is very beautiful. I forgot how beautiful the island is. When I'm not viewing it in 720, mm. Kauai, I really gotta get to Kauai someday. Oh yeah. I've been to the yeah, very... I, I gotta get to Kauai. It's gorgeous. <laughs> uh, the sunny scenes. It's almost, and and that's one of the problems I used to have with um, Jurassic Park Three is how the daytime scenes, like we're gonna talk about in this minute here, this upcoming minute when they're walking and having that, the conversations. And you can see the sunlight filtering through the trees. It looks beautiful and idyllic, idyllically tropical. It's just the island shouldn't, you know? Mm. And then I watched uh, Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom last night. Jurassic World still looks good, but the filters, they just ruin the look of it. I mean, it just makes the movie so bland and generic and the way that... It looks visually. I mean, the movie is packed with a lot of metaphor, and I do love that, but the visually is just so boring. It has the atmospheric and cinematographic flavor of granite 
It's just blah. Yeah, Fallen Kingdom is a little more atmospheric, but the filters—they gotta—they gotta get away from those filters. It just ruins the look of the film. Fallen Kingdom would be a beautiful film without those filters. Yeah, and it makes you sort of wonder. You got Frank Marshall, you got Steven Spielberg, you got all these people there that have years of experience, and surely they've been picking up on this stuff in editing or wherever else. Whether Colin, well, you'd think if Colin wasn't playing ball, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have been coming back. Universal would have fired him. They would have done the whole Star Wars thing. But um, it just yeah, it makes you wonder sometimes just how some of those decisions can come to be. Well, something Dean Cundy, I noticed that Dean Cundy did with um, Jurassic Park was that he takes some of the carnivore dinosaurs like T-Rex and the Dilophosaurus and the, especially the raptors and he sets a kind of a blue light against them uh, in the, when their face is in the shadow. You yeah. can kind of see their face, is, the face is, has this tinge of blue in the shadows. It's not like the shadows themselves that are blue, but like a blue light um, um, in the shadow. That's being shined onto the that's being shined onto the prop, and it looks really cool. It's something that he did with another one of my favorite movies, and I'm actually going to watch it after this record. Here is Halloween, uh, the mm-hmm. original 1978 version, which he was, which he also worked on with John Carpenter, and he all the time uh, the night scenes have this kind of a blue light. It's not really a filter; it's like a light that is shined and filtered through uh, like a sheet or something that really, really look, makes the film look good. And they do it on the Michael Myers mask in the movie. You can see how this blue light shines from the shadows onto the mask. And it's really, it's a really cool effect that I'm very, that I think is really cool that he brought to Jurassic Park. Yeah, I've seen you post that up on Facebook and you could definitely see the similarities mm-hmm. there. And when I was watching Jurassic World, I actually thought it was funny. I actually just put together my second Jurassic Park cosplay. <laughs> I had all of the everything I needed to put together a Zach Mitchell cosplay <laughs> or a Zach Mitchell, excuse me, costume. I had I had the red shirt, the dark blue jeans, the gray hoodie, the Converse high top shoes. I even had the Bose headphones. <laughs> I have to post a picture up here. It's it's really funny. I was like, oh, I could do that easy. I'll, yeah. I'll just have to pull everything out of my closet. That's the thing. You have you have people sort of spend a lot of money to maybe be more iconic characters. Where mm-hmm. sometimes a lot of your favorite characters are just wearing some pretty standard mm-hmm. standard stuff. It's not like I'd be cosplaying as a child either because. Um, that that character was he was um not, or not the character that the character was sixteen or fifteen or sixteen. <laughs> sure he was. <laughs> but, but the actor playing him was nineteen. So. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Um, yeah, I I think we mentioned when we're doing Lost World. I've I've had the Blu-rays here for the first three films for years and never watched them. More so, just accessibility. I've got I've got them all on my iPad. I can watch them, even though they're low quality. But it sort of it sort of warrants going back and just having a look at that that good high def every now and then to sort mm-hmm. of see see what the film was meant to be. As even that um mm-hmm. that that uh, that print of Jurassic Park, like I've only got that on my computer, and there's not a lot of times I can sit 
in front of my computer and watch mm-hmm. the whole lot, let alone some favourite scenes from it. Yeah, like I told a friend of mine, Travis, uh, who recently joined us at Jurassicpedia on our Jurassicpedia team, um, I was saying that I love the VHS. I, I do. I mean, I love that spooky, foggy, kind of dim look, that dull look that the VHS gives. But like you said, every now and then I do like to go back and watch the movies on a visually and uh, odd and then with uh, superior audio and visuals, and it mm. it does look good. You can't deny that. Yeah. Especially just, Jurassic Park. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, the Brachiosaurus uh, sneezing on Lex does age badly, but that movie, those effects are fantastic to this day. Mm. And it makes me kind of wonder what would happen if James Cameron had gotten. Uh, the gig instead of Spielberg because he probably still would have worked with ILM and Stan Winston Studios to bring us Jurassic Park. He's worked with both. He worked with uh, ILM on Terminator 2 and Stan Winston Studios on Alien and Terminator. Yeah, exactly. And I think he worked out with him on Predator as well. Or was that not uh, James Cameron? He he gave um, he gave them Stan Winston the idea of the mandibles on a plane flight. Ah, that the, was right. That's yeah, right. I, I thought he had something to do with it. Yeah. But yeah, he it was. So we know we would have gotten those effects, but with the visual effects with ILM, would he have pushed further? Because I was just watching Avatar today, and say what you will about the film, those effects have not aged a day. Considering hmm. the movie is almost ten years old at this point, that's very impressive. How photorealistic. And just real the CGI is. I mean, you can see the fingerprints on the CGI characters, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's why it's taken so long to do the sequel. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Well, he's also doing, like, five, all, all four sequels at once. So he's pulling up Peter Jackson and doing them all back-to-back so he can release them consecutively every year, I think. Yeah, exactly. But I suppose keeping on the Jurassic Park theme for a moment... I've, I've been trying to think. Is there any? I don't think there's any films he's actually done where he's adopted, adopted, so, or adapted someone's story. Because I wonder no, how I... that sort of thing would would go. Because as you as you're saying, it's like yeah, he'd, he'd be working with ILM and Stan Winston. So, well, knowing his effects... style at that time of his career, I think it would have been pretty dark. It would have been an action film, but it would have been a dark kind of horrific action film, kind of like Terminator. Where there's very scary tense moments. Mm, well, that's you know, I, I sort of. I would have stuck closer to the book in that regard, and instead of Spielberg, who give us gave us this kind of magical, wondrous feel, we would have gotten something more true, Crichton, which would have been like that sci-fi horror feel. Yeah, well, that's the whole Amblin side of things, and that's that's you look at any any of the Spielberg films, he um he always sort of does that does that sort of thing, and that's that's fine. It's it still gave us the film we got, but. Yeah, you'd think Cameron would sort of go have more of that suspense, have sort of that more techno thriller um, sort of angle to it. The dark science. I do, maybe, I do yeah. yeah. Maybe InGen would have been more of a dark, <laughs> evil Whalen Utani type corporation where. Well, that's know. actually kind of how they were in the book. If you re- if you recall, they kind of had this. Um, they kind of had this thing in the book where they're just kind of co- they had accidents and dinosaurs getting loose and all kinds of stuff that they were just trying to cover up and pretend it wasn't happening. Mm. 
Yeah, and it sort of bleeds briefly over into the Lost World novel as well. Mm-hmm. But then that's that's the age-old thing, the, the what-ifs. Like, what if Harrison Ford was Alan Grant? <laughs> it, <laughs> it just... You never you never stop once you start thinking about some of these things. Yeah, true. You never stop. What what if what if Tom Selleck had been Indiana Jones? Just you no, can't. I mean, <laughs> I watched Blue Bloods and I, I couldn't see it. Yeah. I mean, I I like Tom Selleck as an actor, but I could not see him playing that character like Harrison Ford did. Mm. You know. And that's I think we I think we mentioned this when we sort of started with the Lost World with sort of some of the characters and who was there and it's. For the most part, when they bring bring characters in to replace someone or that, it's there's, there's still time to rewrite the script and change what that character would be. Mm-hmm. Like, you wouldn't have Harrison Ford coming and saying... It'd probably have some of the lines of Grant, but you wouldn't have... It'd be written for Harrison Ford, not written for Sam Neill at yeah. the time. Um, much as Much the same way... Robocop was supposed to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he could, they couldn't fit him in the suit before they got Peter Weller to come in, and <laughs> it, that would have been a, that would have been almost Batman and Robin script, I reckon, if if that was Arnold in that suit. Yeah, true. <laughs> we might not have got him back in Terminator Two because he'd he'd be pretty robot heavy in films, two separate franchises <laughs> bought into. True. Yeah, I didn't consider that, and he is well. Originally, Michael Bain had uh, tried out for the role of the Terminator. And then, and Schwarzenegger the role for Michael Reese or uh, Kyle Reese. Mm. And then they switched. They switch. Uh, Cameron. They both came in for the audition, and Cameron's like, "We gotta make. We gotta make a switch here. These these guys are perfect for each other's roles." Yep, that's how history's made. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've got a minute to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Dave, ready to get into 31. Sure. As we went into minute 30 of Jurassic Park 3, Billy Grant noticed Paul acting rather comedically with a backpack and approached him, challenging his earlier statement he and Amanda were keen adventurers. As we open on minute 31, Grant just asks, there's no such thing as Kirby Enterprises, is there? Paul replies, it's Kirby Paint and Tile Plus. Plus stands for bathroom fixtures, tiles. We're in a strip mall in Oklahoma. Billy jumps straight to the defence. I guess that check you wrote wasn't any good, was it? And Paul immediately says, No, no. I promise I'll make it up to you guys. At the 11 second mark, Grant picks up his bag and starts to walk away, saying, This is good. Here we are in the most dangerous place in the world and we're not even getting paid. At the 22 second mark, we cut to Paul and Udesky walking through the brush. Paul asks him, You're not really a mercenary, are you? Udesky replies, I never said I was. And when Paul asks, well, what are you? Udesky replies, well, I'm kind of a booking agent. One of the guys got sick and couldn't come. At the 42 second mark, we cut to Grant walking through the trees. Paul and Amanda are behind him. And Amanda starts yelling Eric's name once again. Grant growls, quiet. And Paul tries to calm his wife, saying Dr. Grant says this is very bad territory. Amanda suggests, well, maybe we should split up or something. And Paul replies, Dr. Grant says that's a bad idea. And Amanda starts to go into a tirade. Dr. Grant, Dr. Grant. Paul jumps straight in. What's the point of hiring an expert if we're not going to listen to his advice? And as minute 31 ends, Amanda retorts, Yeah, well, Dr. Grant's not looking for Eric. He's looking for the coast. Uh, as we open on minute 31, we get the rest of Paul's explanation from previous minutes. Uh, 
Kirby Paint and Tile Plus. The plus stands for bathroom fixtures, and we're located in Westgate Shopping Centre in Oklahoma. There, he does mention a town there. You can't really hear it in the uh, in the dialogue. In it, Oklahoma. You can yeah. hear it really well. Yeah, it's not so well you can hear it on the... I never noticed how well you can actually hear that line in the um, in the movie until I popped in the Blu-ray. And okay. it's funny, because, I mean, the sound isn't, isn't the best out of them, but it is better than the VHS, which is what I've been watching previously. Hmm. Yeah, well, it is, it's mentioned in the script as well, but... Again, another one of those words I wasn't quite... I was going to butcher it if I tried to say it, so thanks for that. Um, Fun fact. There is actually a Westgate shopping mall in Enid, Oklahoma. Ooh. I'm not sure if there's a Caribbean Paint Tile Plus there, or if ever there had ever been one, but there is a Westgate shopping mall in Enid, Oklahoma. It'd be funny if there was just some sort of paint and tile <laughs> or <laughs> hardware store there. <laughs> Although the film being what it is, I don't think you'd have a lot of fans crowding around asking, is Paul Kirby here or anything? <laughs> <laughs> Just going to all the shops in that strip mall. Uh, do, you, do you guys have uh, Paul Kirby here? Paul, Paul Kirby? Just... Hey, he was played by William H. Macy? You guys, you guys got oh. William H. Macy in here? <laughs> Although then you could then you get the um, the trolls just walking in from door to door of a bull, bull mic. Eric! Eric, so it's not very nice, is it? <laughs> and then just go to the next one. <laughs> but I suppose it's it's like before when we were at the bar, how that was a real bar, um, be a real bar location in Colorado. So. Oh yeah, that's that's really a there really is a Hell Creek bar oh, at Montana. In, uh, that's in Sneakwater, Montana, on that Montana, corner. Yeah, that, that's yeah. actually the real bar they're using. Yeah. Yeah. And normally, sometimes when you get little things like that dropped in the films, it's it's an Easter egg. It's the producer might have grown up there or something. Something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or one of the scriptwriters may have. Well, yeah, they <laughs> the scriptwriters do seem to get a little bit past the directors at, at times. With the, um, the Gremlins being in Ready Player One being a big one recently, Spielberg not knowing that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> Um, as Paul's saying this Udesky's sort of slowly approaching this is the first time he's hearing all this as well and he doesn't look that amused to be hearing it um, but um, Grant's oh Billy Arks I don't suppose that check he wrote us is any good and Grant's just smiling to himself as Paul tries to say you were on it um, and then Grant continues this is good here we are in the worst place in the world and we're not even getting paid <laughs> well um, now that you mention it is Udesky getting... Oh, no, Udesky is getting paid this, right? Because I forgot it back at the plane. He says that we're all good as soon as that check... And as soon as you get me that check. So mm. he's being paid. He got paid up front. He was smart. Well... I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's something they, they do in that business where you want to get paid up front in that business. Well, especially when you got to supply equipment, you got to hire the plane and... We'll get we'll get to it a little bit long, later in the uh, in the script because it's it's definitely brought out. Um, Udesky says here exactly how he was paid. So uh, mm-hmm. well, he says on the, he says back at the plane yard that he's, he's talking to Paul Kirby and he's saying, "Oh yeah, I'll have everything set as soon as you get me that final payment." Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because in the script it's sort of he only got paid half up front. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but we'll get there. Um, 
granted Billy sort of um, walk off in disgust <laughs> after this and um, Paul quickly follows um, and he's sort of yelling at him Udesky sort of goes off with Paul uh, with Alan and Billy as well and Paul's left behind to yell now fellas I'll make it up to you if you ever have a, do a bathroom or a kitchen <laughs> and that's when we get a hard cut to them walking through the jungle but it, it sort of makes you wonder again about what that figure on that check was if, if Paul here thinks he could compensate by doing the renovation for a bathroom <laughs> <laughs> that, that that tells me it's probably four zeros or, or four figures on the check and not five or six <laughs> Oh, I would have. Uh, you said you saying every number. I'm saying I, I'm asking. I want one through ten. Mm. All of them. <laughs> all all digits. Yep. Yeah, you got a, you got a very large ledger there. Just fill it with numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but we do cut to um, jungle as Paul's um, caught up to Udesky, and he asks, "You're not a real mercenary, are you?" And Udesky responds, "I never said I was." Which. Mm. Makes you wonder how that conversation went back then when he was looking for someone to help. And um, Paul realised and says that's true and uh, says, so what What are you? He just says, I'm, I'm like a booking agent. One of the guys got sick and couldn't come, which sort of makes you wonder why that third person wasn't with Nash and Cooper at the airstrip when Udesky was booking it all, unless he was coming in from somewhere else. Well, obviously. he might have already uh, booked it or plan the charter or something when and he was already setting up when the uh and the guy was already sick at that point mm. but i suppose he's already taken the money from the kirby's mm. for that for a free a free man team and he's gone well I'll just go along maybe not believing the stories of the island mm-hmm. don't know tell you the truth though He's probably the luckiest guy in the group. All you can consider all the other mercenaries got sick. I mean, got killed. So, might as well have been in Apollo 13 when um, one of the astronauts got sick and he ends up not going on the doomed mission. Yeah, forgive me for not knowing the real astronaut's name, but I think Gary Sinise had, I think he had appendicitis or something. Something like that, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, history is full of stories like that where someone someone couldn't get on the Titanic before it sailed and survived and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. People not being able to make plane flights and the flights dis- disappearing or crashing. <laughs> yeah, really. Time to buy a lotto ticket or two. Yeah. Oh, I've uh, I've seen stuff like that, close calls like that. That when one just happened in my in the next town over that made the national news. There is uh, the train, the crossing gates on the train crossing didn't go down. Oh, well. And so the train, a cop had to swerve and basically basically do a uh, zero radius uh, (laughs) U-turn just as the train was uh, crossing the tracks. I mean, that (laughs) that guy, that's the guy, that's the kind of thing I would go out and, like you said, buy a lottery ticket. Yeah, yep. Uh, one good thing here too is they're um, walking through the jun- through the sort of scenery here. I just love how once again we've got this thick jungle back. Mm-hmm. We haven't really seen it since Muldoon's demise, like the whole getting to the maintenance shed. In the um, in the Lost World, it was a lot more open. We had the redwoods. Even when Dita sort of gets down the stream, it's not that heavily forested when he falls down the ravine. No. I'm just trying to think. Even 
even with the Trenosaur chase after they come back to the camp, you have sort of small patches of dense stuff like this where the mm-hmm. Ian and that sort of fall down off the elephant grass plane well, to the dinosaur really... graveyard. In this instance, this is more like young saplings kind of dense. It's just small trees all around you instead of mm. large trees like in the redwoods where it's... Here, the trees are like a foot across instead of being three, a third foot across. <laughs> and with... Uh, like six foot fern fronds in between. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, of course, everything everything over there is big, but because it's so big, you're so small. So it's it's like a mouse being among. It's like you're a mouse among a bunch of saplings. Mm. Yeah. Plus, I suppose too, one of the biggest reasons why we haven't seen it this sort of dense before is just to film in where they got gantries and trolleys and everything set up and you got the actors you want to do these long walk and talk shots you need sort of a bit of open space true to do it especially when you can build a set you are able to plan to have the tracks for the camera to uh, roll along and all that kind of stuff mm. like in the redwoods they had to like hike the track up there with them and i mean like for example the um the beauty shot that we, or the scan that we get of the herbivores running from the hunters on the game trail, and we get that first person, or we get that shot of uh, of Hammond's team watching them from the precipice. That is actually a very, very steep stairway up there, and I would not want to have been the camera guy to log all this equipment up this very steep, narrow, short staircase. Well, that's it. Production's got to get all the camera mounts up there. They've got to do all that sort of stuff before they even actors get up there. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those staircases where you almost feel you should be um, using all four limbs to go up it. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, yeah, it sort of goes back to the Lost World novel where when Levon, get, Levon gets to Sauna, he enters the jungle and pretty much immediately drenched just from the wet leaves and that... Mm-hmm. I'd just love to see some real nice dense jungle like that in these films again. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Paul's still fumbling with his pack, and Billy pushes past him, and he just says here and helps him with his backpack, um, and asks, "So you run a hardware store?" And Paul replies, um, "Paint tile, yeah." And Udesky scoffs, "You never can tell about people, can you?" And they begin to start walking again. Paul says, "Ain't that the truth?" <laughs> I love that line just because of the irony of it. Yeah, yeah, tell people yeah. about tell tell about people, can you? Mm. <laughs> and this is sort of the start of their the sort of the one the back and forth between Paul and Udesky, mm-hmm. both coming from sort of comedic backgrounds as well. So well, that's true, yeah. And I haven't really talked much about Udesky, but he is a great actor. I, I mean, not Udesky. Um, <laughs> uh, hold on, I can't believe I forgot his name. Oh, Udesky's name. Yeah, Michael Jeter. And that's one thing I do like about Michael Jeter is that he is a great actor. I, you see him in other movies, and you, he's got a very good range as an actor, and that I consider that to be a mark of a good actor, where you can watch one watch one actor across two movies and not tell they're the same character, they're the same guy, because they are they get into characters so well. And uh, Gary Oldman is a good actor like that in the way that he just plays different characters across his films. He has such a range that 
you would never guess Sirius Black was also Commissioner Gordon was also the Prime Minister of England, you know? And Emmanuel Zorg. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, when we when he first came on the scene, we'll talk and sort of his background there. Even with all just the voice acting and the cartoons he used to do background this time as well when he done this film, just being a voice actor definitely mm-hmm. for the most part gives you that range. Yeah. I mean, at a visual level, like I remember seeing him in what was that Costner Western? Uh, he was in a Western movie, uh, Open Range. I you watch him, you watch him in Open Range, and he. He has he uh, runs a stable for the horses, and you'd never guess that was Michael Jeter. I mean, he just has that range. You you would never have guessed that was Michael Jeter in that role, and then this is Michael Jeter here. Mm. Well, and he sort of he's never before come across as that mercenary either, and here he's sort of he's more matter of fact, and mm-hmm. um, we get a little bit more with him in the coming minutes once we get to the um, the Parasails site and that. It's it's a shame of all the people that are killed. He's um, it's probably a shame to see him go out the most. I agree. I mean, especially because I do like his character, and I do think that he he didn't really need to be there, and that's the tragedy of it. He he wasn't supposed to be there, and he was the one that dies. Mm. Well, and that's again like. Yes, okay, the others were mercenaries, but this isn't them going to capture, mm-hmm. kill, or take home. This is just they're there to defend the Kirbys oh, and help also, them find their son. They're also there by choice. Udeski went really because he had no other choice. Yeah. Well, he could have gave some of the money back. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he was, he was there to... He, he was there as the booking agent. He was, and it's not his fault that Paul Kirby misunderstood his role. Hmm. But we cut to Grant as sort of the foliage opens up a bit here. You sort of get some of that young forest. Amanda's shouting Eric's name once again. Grant sort of grumbles to her to be quiet. <laughs> I don't think he quite knows what to do with them at the moment. No. But, um... I think he just wants to get off the island. He he wants to be anywhere but there. He'd rather, yeah. he'd rather be in Antarctica in the winter in board shorts than there. <laughs> which sort of raises one little question. How do they know which way to go? I don't know. Like, if surely... Well, the cockpit would have had a GPS... Oh, not a GPS, a, um, a compass. Mm-hmm. Normally, most aircraft have sort of... Even just a liquid compass, not a digital one. So you could smash it out so you could have a compass in your hand. But without knowing exactly where the airstrip is in relation to the island... You, you go well. You're fair enough. If you walk long enough in one direction, you're going to come to the coast anyway. But mm-hmm. with the earlier script, where they're trying to get back to, hopefully find where the parasailing boat had crashed or any other sign of boat wreckage they could use to get off the island. Um, well, I think that in um, the novel, in the first novel, Grant is described as this great kind. Of, he's not like an adventurer, but he has a good, he, good sense of direction. And Ellie describes how. To, I think it was to Hammond or Gennaro about that. Don't worry, Grant knows what he, how to get get out of a tough situation. He once yeah, walked yeah, all the way back to camp on a broken leg just following the stars or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I and so I, I think that's kind of implied here where he he knows what he's where he's going based on a sense of direction. I kind of have 
I kind of almost have that sixth sense myself. I've always always been able to have, be good with directions. Mm-hmm. I'm always the navigator in the car. Yeah, well, definitely once we get to the lab too, where we've got that river that runs beside it, that's sort of right we're going to follow. That, 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 that then leads to the aviary, and then the aviary leads out to the coast, so it'd make it a little bit easier once they get further along there. But but uh, Paul's work walking along in front of Amanda, and he says, will you stop that? Dr. Grant says this is very bad territory. And Amanda doesn't seem to care. Um, look, maybe we should split up or something, you know, cover twice as much ground, which we know from previous films that's a bad idea. And Paul says, Dr. Grant says that's a bad idea. So it's already, he must have already suggested it. And Grant shut him down once where now Amanda's asking Paul about and he's just conveying, no, it's a bad idea. And we get Amanda start to complain a little bit here, Dr. Grant, Dr. Grant. But, um,. Paul interrupts her and says, well, what's the use of hiring an expert if we aren't going to listen to his advice? And <laughs> we'll get her... Yeah, yeah. But she has a good comeback in a minute too, in the next minute, but well, that, that's the thing. Whether, whether you've hired him, he's still an expert, whether he's there to help you or not. So you'd, you'd heed the advice. I think she's just frustrated. One, that they're walking on foot, and two, that her son's still out there somewhere and there doesn't seem to be any, uh, any pressing need or attention to go find him but uh, as we quickly duck into the script the script has a bit more about the plus in paint tile plus it's said to include bathroom fixtures fireplaces accessories patio furniture and stuff like that which is a lot more a lot more than just paint and tile <laughs> after billy asks if he check is any good you says he paid us up front in cash which so you're you're saying with the um that scene earlier where he's on the phone he's just waiting for that I'd have to go, is it waiting for the check to clear or just waiting for, it's just waiting for that last payment, isn't it? Yeah, I think he says payment, not check. Yeah, yeah, so he's obviously been getting payments from the Kirby's and not just one full mm-hmm. lump sum, but um, Grant's dialogue completely about well, here we are in the worst place is completely missing from the script. That was added a lot later. That's a shame because that's actually one of my favourite lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it makes, uh, yeah, it makes the most sense there too, but... Uh, after Yudesky says he paid half upfront cash, Paul says we mortgage everything and we had to to do it, including the, the store. And if we make it off this island with our son, I swear I'll make it make good on the money I owe you. I don't even care if it takes the rest of my life. And that's when we get the slow little remark from Yudesky, however long that is. And then we cut to them walking through the jungle. So there's a bit of um, a bit of dialogue missing from the um, from the film, the script. They chopped and changed a little bit and. In both this minute and the previous minute, the whole uh, novel is pretty much word for word what we see in the script, so nothing else to add from that. David, it's been another week. We're moving along quite nicely. Here we are. Anything else you want to discuss on this before we get out of here for the week? Yeah, no, we're good. All right, lovely. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is drasticminutes.wordpress.com, and you can find... The Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are we on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? No. This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. 
dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters, nothing more and nothing less. Uh, are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on earth or heaven could get me on that island. Your desk. Hello? Charlie! 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 Take the phone to mommy now! Take the phone to mommy! It's the, it's the dinosaur there! Okay. Super Bowl Sunday is actually tomorrow, so... Or not, so I guess that puts a date of where, where this record is. And, and then my birthday is actually the, um... 26th, so by the time this goes, I, I mean, it's on the, uh, 4th, so I'll be 26th. So by the time this goes live, I'll be 26. <laughs> happy birthday for them. Oh, thank you. Or should I say happy birthday for last week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully we get we should get a new um, Infinity War trailer teaser, you'd think, from Super Bowl? I'm betting Infinity War will probably be the big one, yeah. I was, I'm hoping for... Um, I'm hoping for... Anything Star Wars, I don't. Yeah. I don't have high hopes, but just kind of hoping something they surprise us with this one. Yeah. We, I've been looking forward for a trailer to a tour, looking forward to a trailer for a while now. Hmm. Just some sort of sign of what, what, yeah. where we're going, what, what direction. Yeah, basically. And then, um, what I'm really looking forward to is. I hear they're going to play Sweet Sweet Victory from SpongeBob Ooh. at the Super Bowl <laughs> in in memory of Steven Hillenburg. Okay, nice. Who uh, was the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants? He recently he died last year. Oh, it's not good. Um, yeah, I've, I'm still waiting for something to come out of this live-action Aladdin. We had that little teaser last year, but it's coming out in March, which. A month and a half away, and we've seen no official trailer yet. <laughs> no, you're right. We got that short teaser. Yeah. But I have not seen a full trailer. And I'm kind of interested in that. Cause I want to see what Will Smith does. He will never, ever live up to John, or to uh, William Robin, Robin Williams. <laughs> Yeah, but that's, that's exactly the same struggle I had with Solo, too. And if you can get past. Yes, it's going to be recast into someone else, and it, don't compare. Just go with what that new new actor and new characters bring to the table. I think that a lot of lot of people had that problem with Solo, with the bloke trying to be Han Solo, and or being Harrison Ford. And it wasn't so much the problem that he wasn't Harrison Ford; it's the fact that he carried no charisma. He did mm. carried none of the charisma that Harrison Ford brought to the character. Yeah, and that's that's sort of something you need from a... Well, like you can't really say a seasoned actor because Harrison Ford <laughs> hadn't done a lot. He was still working <laughs> working on set as yeah, a... he was a carpenter uh, at the time. Man, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Some people just have it. Yeah. I mean, it's just unfortunate, though, because, I mean, Ford has this kind of natural charisma that he brings to, bo- to a lot of his characters, especially Indiana Jones 
and Han Solo. And it's just a shame because this guy had just, I mean, it was evident that the actors around him had better acting chops than he did, you mm. know? Well, even like I've rewatching Temple of Doom the other night, like how much he's carrying that film because of the bad dialogue and <laughs> parts and that, where he's just, yeah, he's, he's oh. sort of putting his all into it. Ford definitely carries that that film, and another, and it doesn't hurt hurt that he loves the character. I mean, he absolutely loves the character. He will not, he will, he's been adamant in the. I think just recently somebody asked him, "What would you share? Would you be willing to share the stage as Indiana Jones?" And he said, "It's either me or him." Hmm. I'm not. He he loves that character, and he doesn't. He's um. Reluctant to pass the torch on it. Where, which is why we had the ending of Crystal Skull the way it went, I suppose. But mm-hmm. well, he was. Well, the thing about Han Solo was he, he was there. He was cast after he, uh, Lucas liked the way he delivered lines to the actors on the mm-hmm. casting couch, and he never really had the same love for the character. He'd been trying to kill the character off since Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. <laughs> he ever came back for The Force Awakens was to finally kill off the character. Yep. I, mean, I don't see how anybody could not have seen that. You know? Mm. Yeah, I don't think any any size dump truck full of money would have changed his mind on that. No. I think they've started filming on Indy 5 now, so... They're working on it, so I'm not sure if they've started filming Oh, yet. okay. That will be interesting. 